For almost 21 years, Pastor Jonathan Allen has led our church faithfully and profoundly. I'm going to make up a word. I realize that anointedly. (laughs) And this morning, Pastor Jonathan Allen is here to share a message of hope with us. Can we show some love and appreciation for Jonathan Allen this morning? Sit down. I don't have all day and I have a lot I want to say. Sit down. Okay, so. um, Sorry, wrong mic. Uh, Yeah, so we've been talking about hope. This is the week four of our series on hope. And I'm beyond excited this morning to talk about abounding hope. Hope that abounds, hope that overflows. And so we're going to get into that this morning. Um, hope is one of my favorite words in the English language. I, I don't know that I could have even told you that before I started preparing this, that I had a favorite word like I have a favorite color. But I think hope is one of my favorite words. If you saw the Allen family Christmas card a few years ago, it was us holding letters that spelled the word hope. I have a little sign that Donna Boone made us years ago that has the word hope painted on it. Hope. I just love saying it. Hope. Hope. God, let it get all over us today. Abounding hope. Y'all, I'm a mess right now. I never get to be out there. And I I came in this morning while they were rehearsing and I said to myself, I want to go to this church. So good just to be here with the body of Christ and worship together. All right, so let's get into hope. Um, one of the things that's telling about me and my, and my love for this word, you can find it in the TV shows that I watch. Uh, if you looked through my TV history, you're going to find a lot of shows that I watch on the Velocity Network, right? Nobody even knows what that is. It's, um, it's a network all about cars. I know the first thing you think about when you look at me is car restoration. Grease monkey, all of those things. Um, I don't know. The only way I know how to get oil changed is you pull into Jiffy Lube and you put your window down and magic happens. So why do I love these shows? Because at the beginning of these shows, there is a rusted out junker of a car. What happens every time 30 minutes later? A show quality masterpiece. My favorite movies have the same thing happen. Uh, August Rush is one of my favorite movies. And if you haven't seen it, um, maybe, maybe it's the guitar nerd in me, but that's part of it. But it's this kid who gets separated from his parents and lives in an orphanage. And he never gives up hope, ever. He knows his parents are gonna find him. Spoiler alert, they do. And the family is reunited in the middle of a symphony being played that the kid wrote. It's a perfect movie. Um, so what, what we see in these things, in these car shows, is somebody with abounding hope, with the ability to look at something broken and busted and say, I know what that can be. So our verse that we're going to use today, that we're going to live in, is uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says this, now may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna read that one more time. Let this get all over you. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna unpack this some. So what is this, what, what does it mean to abound? What, what's being talked about here? Uh, I'm not gonna even attempt to pronounce Greek words today, if that's all right. Uh, not my area of expertise, but the word that's used for hope here has these words that are, that are kind of lying under the surface. One of them is superabound. It says to be in excess, to cause to superabound. There's enough to spare. Okay, so I read that and I thought, is superabound even a word? And so I asked my wife, and she said yes, and that's as far as I had to go. Because <laughs> she knows all the words. Um, and so then I checked in with Webster just to, to double check. The definition of superabound, to abound or prevail in greater measure or to excess. So this is, this is the picture that we see when Jesus feeds the 5,000. This same word is used, and where it's used is at the end. So write a few pieces of bread, a few fish, Jesus blesses them, 5,000 people plus women and children get fed, then the disciples go around with baskets and they collect what remained. They collected the leftovers. You know what that word is for leftovers right there? Super abound. I don't, maybe you didn't grow up like I did, but, but leftovers was like when the casserole had been cooked and you didn't finish it the night before and it had, had time to talk to itself some. <laughs> and get really good, super abound, the leftovers. So that's what this verse is about. That's what this is talking about, is having so much hope, not just hope for us, not just hope for myself. This is hope that's overflowing. It's spilling over the edges. It's hope enough for other people. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may super abound with hope. Picture a toddler with a 50-gallon bucket of water trying to walk around. You, it's just spilling everywhere in a dry desert, in a dry season. That's who God is calling us and has made us to be. So how do we do that? Well, the verse tells us. So let's look. This, this isn't a thing that's an act of our striving and our will. Check this out. Now, may the God of hope fill you right there, fill. You know what that word has in it? Cram, press down. He's stomping on the lid to fill you with joy and peace. How much joy and peace? All joy and peace. All joy and peace. So who does it? The God of hope. What do you do? Believing that you may abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So my buddy Jimmy, preached a couple weeks ago, our life group's pastor, um, introduced me to this concept. When you're walking through life and you're faced with a situation, there's God's part, there's your part, and there's their part. You can only do your part. I was living a life, and we'll get into this later, where I was trying to do everybody's part. You can only do your part. So let's look at God's part here. What's God's part? To fill you with all joy and peace. What's your part? believing. And then what about the next thing, that you may abound with hope? Is, is that your part? That's our part together with God. You may abound with hope by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. So God does the filling with the joy and the peace. Now it's our job to trust him, to believe him for it, to choose faith, to choose all of his goodness, all the things we just sang about, to choose greater you, Lord, to choose to say, God, you're good, I believe you. My circumstances don't make any sense for me to say this, but I believe you. And guess what happens? When we're filled with joy and peace by God, and we add belief to that, did you ever see any of the videos years ago where people would take Mentos and put them in Diet Coke? It explodes and starts spraying everywhere. That's what happens to us when we combine the joy and the peace that God crams down into our hearts with some belief in him. All of a sudden, an explosion of abounding hope happens. And this, isn't, this doesn't have to be gigantic, like super abundant, massive, like whatever those words would be for faith, where we're like a superhero. Because remember, faith like a mustard seed accomplishes huge things. So do your part. Let God do his part. You do your part. The next thing you know, you'll be walking around super abounding all over the place. Do you ever encounter people that are in hopeless situations? Do this. Every one of us does. People that need the hope of God. And he's chosen us to walk around and spill it everywhere. That's good news, y'all. So this hope, uh, one of the other things that's, that's in this word is that it's also to cause to superabound. So it's not just that we're spilling everywhere. Do you see that that's contagious? That other people start superabounding with hope. It's like a movement could start a viral movement of hope, of hope. Have you ever lived in a time where our world needs hope more than right now? People are desperate and hurting and fighting because they don't have any hope. So we can superabound with hope. So we've got this hope explosion happening. We want to look at a biblical example now. Who's our example of superabounding hope? There was an answer to questions when I was in Sunday school in the Baptist church that you could go with anytime a question was asked and you were probably gonna be pretty safe. Who's our biblical example of superabounding hope? Jesus. There it is. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus so superabounded with hope, people started following him around. They flocked to him. Do you remember one of the definitions we used early in the series for hope? That hope fuels our faith. We see these massive levels of faith growing in people as they encounter Jesus. So let's look at one of these stories. We're going to go to uh, the book of Mark, chapter 5, and we're going to look at the story of Jairus and the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed, and they pressed around him. So right at this moment, where Jesus immediately says, yes, Jairus, I can deal with that, and they start walking, the story gets interrupted. A woman who had had an issue of blood, she'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years, sees that Jesus is there, presses through the crowd, the scripture describes that she'd been to every doctor. She'd tried every trick. She'd tried every treatment. Nothing had worked. 
She was now broke. She had spent every dollar that she had. And was she any better? No. It says her suffering only increased. But because Jesus superabounded with hope, something stirred in her. Faith started bubbling. Can you imagine the disappointment? 12 years, every doctor, every dollar increased suffering. But this dangerous hope and faith started bubbling up in her heart. And she thought, if I can just press through the crowd, if I can just get to him. And she reached out and touched the hem of his robe. And boom, she was healed right now. 12 years done in an instant. So much so that Jesus said, who touched me? I felt power go out of me. His disciples thought he was crazy. There's people all around you. What do you mean who touched you? She knew she was busted. She said, Jesus, it was me. I just thought if I could just reach out, if I could just touch you, if I could just touch the hope that you carry, I could be healed. And she was in an instant. And Jesus even says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, while that's happening, literally in the middle of that sentence, when Jesus says, your faith has made you well, friends of Jairus came to him with heartbreaking news. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Let's go to Mark chapter five, verse 27. We'll go from there. When she heard about Jesus, oh, sorry, wrong place. Uh, there it is. I could just look at the screen, I guess. <laughs> when she heard, nope, sorry. I'm just gonna sing because that's what I do in these spots. <laughs> Mark 5.35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. You picture that moment? I was thinking about it and thinking, did Jesus grab his hand, his face and his hands? He said, don't, don't be afraid. Just believe. Did he put his arm around him and say, come on, let's keep walking. I know there's a bad report, but let's keep walking. We don't know, but you can feel the heart of Jesus in this moment. Going on, it said he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Just kind of hold on to that. That's going to be important later. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion of people crying and wailing loudly he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. A couple of things I want to point out in this story. Do you see what Jesus did when the people laughed? He said, after he put them out, it just moves on. Like they don't even tell us about him putting them out of the room, but Jesus kicked them out of the situation. There was doubt, there was unbelief, and they were kicked out of the room. Jesus didn't need crowds for this moment. He didn't need unbelief for this moment. He just wanted to get to that girl kicked them out completely. So how many of us run into people that are in a situation that looks this desperate and this hopeless? I know I have. 
And so to have the kind of hope that Jesus walked around with, to be able to bring life into these situations, to bring resurrection power into hopeless situations could change the world. Now, how many of you feel like you walk around just super abounding with hope all the time? I don't. And so I started asking the question, like, why don't I? This is available? Well, we see it in this story. What did Jesus say when the bad news came? Don't be afraid. Just believe. Fear is the enemy of hope. Fear, it's not the only enemy of hope, but it is one of the things that will stop our hope in its tracks. So let's look at some definitions. We've defined earlier in the series, hope is joyous anticipation of good that's not yet here or is unseen. Fear, a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, whether the threat is real or imagined. So hope's the expectation of something good. We good with that? Fear is the expectation of something bad. It's the exact opposite. And so when we live trapped in fear, our hope starts to wither. I want to tell you a story of how hope was stolen from me by fear. Many of you have heard this story, heard versions of it, heard pieces of it. I'll go into a little more detail. Um, I don't know exactly when. I was trying to actually even figure that out this morning, but I think it was about 11 years ago. I was going to see a friend from the worship team singing in this little place, Edge Hill Cafe, right off of Music Row, the corner of Villa and Edge Hill. And so I drove down there that night and saw some young men, teenagers, uh, just kind of walking down the street and didn't think much about it and parked my car. And I got out of my car to go see my friend sing. And I heard behind me, hey. And so I thought, oh, I mean, they're probably gonna ask me for some money. And so I was literally thinking, let me go ahead and I'll just give them a couple bucks. Maybe they need something. And what I turned around to face instead was a 14-year-old uh, young man, probably 15, 20 feet away from me, pointing a pistol at me with three of his friends and saying, hey, give us your wallet, your car keys, your phone. And I froze. My world changed in an instant. And so he said, give me your wallet, and I did this. Because I was kind of out of my body at that point. And then I felt somebody that I never even saw reach in my back pocket and take my wallet. And then I managed to get my keys and my phone out and handed it to him. And I even remember in the moment looking at him and saying, you're in charge. You're in charge. Because let's remember, 14 years old, doing this as an initiation to get into a gang, he has a horrible life. All six, four of me got up out of a car. None of us knew what was gonna happen. Everybody was scared. So I said, you're the boss, you're in charge. I did what they asked me. Then he pointed off into the neighborhood, into the darkness. So if you imagine that my friends are in the cafe that way, he pointed that way up the street and said, start walking. And so off I went walking into the darkness of a neighborhood I didn't know. With every fear you have about a dark neighborhood you don't know, had just been realized. And there I go walking off into the darkness. I finally peek over my shoulder and see that they're gone. I go walking this way and get to the cafe and find my friends and tell them. And I think the initial reaction is somebody laughed because they wouldn't put it past me to crack a joke. 
And then they believed me, and it was a new journey for me, a new life from there out. I think it was the next day, um, we were going to the International Justice Mission fundraiser, downtown Nashville. And this is when I first got a taste of what my life was gonna be. So we get out of the car with Steve and Sarah and with Allison, and just out of the corner of my eye, like you would in a parking lot, I just sensed some movement. It was broad daylight in Nashville. Not a bad neighborhood, nothing. I instantly started crying. Was filled with terror. My breathing increased and got fast and shallow, and and I didn't know what was happening to me. And that was my introduction to 10 years of panic attacks. Now, I grew up as a nice suburban Southern Baptist kid. Nothing bad ever really happened to me. And I thought that I had a deal with God that if I'm a good guy and go to church and pray and read the Bible and lead worship, that I'm good and nothing bad's gonna happen. If you can find that for me in the Bible, you're not gonna find it. God doesn't promise us that. You know what he does promise? That he will never leave us and he will never forsake us that he'll use all things for our good. But in this life, you will have trouble. So at some level, I was believing in the wrong God. I was believing in a God that would just keep me perfectly safe, fat and happy my whole life. And so there was no telling what would trigger one of these panic attacks. It could be a TV show with some violence in it. Uh, It could be walking around the Target parking lot in Cool Springs at night. You know, the treacherous Target parking lot. (laughs) And the next thing I know, boom, it would hit like a ton of bricks. Allison learned, my wife, that certainly I would squeeze her hand and she'd know, here it comes, and I'd be in it. One Sunday, I stood right over here. We were singing the first song, the song, Oh, Praise Him. We got to the bridge. I almost missed the bridge. Any musicians in the room, you know that feeling when like, oh, I almost forgot it was there. Woo, but I made it, and so you get there. But just that, that's all it took. The next 30 minutes of the service in front of a room full of people, I was terrified. You can go back and find the video of it. You'd see me right here. I look at Allison and I mouth, help. She went and told Steve. I just prayed. And I clung to every word I was singing. You are peace, you are peace, when my fear is crippling. I just kept going, and then when I went home and fell asleep for the rest of the day. That was my new normal. That's what my life looked like. I had moved into the place of hopelessness of just thinking, this is the rest of my life. Now, I went to a great counselor in California, and I got some tools. I went to a doctor, and I got some medicine uh, for years. You know that little pocket right there in your jeans? What that was for me was where my anti-anxiety medicine was, always. I never left the house without it. There was a pill in that pocket every day for years. If at some point I misplaced it, that was enough to trigger a panic attack. The fear of fear. Franklin Roosevelt was onto something. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Just the fear of fear can cause a panic attack. So that was my world. I learned some breathing techniques, I had some medicine, so I knew what to do about the symptoms, but I had no hope for ever getting out of it. Several months ago, Pastor Jimmy was up here preaching and he told a story 
about somebody he was counseling. And the story went like this. This person came in and sat down and said, I feel like I'm drowning all the time. And every now and then, I get up to the surface and I get a breath. Can you help me get there? And Jimmy in the story says, no, I will not help you do that. I'm not gonna help you barely survive. I'll help you live and I'll help you, I'll help you thrive. That was me. Any of you who heard that story, that was a story about me. That's where I was. So last year, I went on the Israel trip uh, and we went to Caesarea Philippi. Troy, can you throw that picture up? So we're at Caesarea Philippi. This is, if you know the, the verse of, uh, on, on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That moment happened right here. And so we're up there and I'm leading worship. If you follow my uh, semi-annual Instagram posts, you would have seen a picture of this. <laughs> she tells me to be better about it. Um, and so we worshiped and it was one of those moments where you get done with what my set list was and we were all worshiping and it just felt like we're not done. Nobody moved. Steve's supposed to teach. Steve didn't move. So we sang another song and we sang another one and then it was like, okay, we're done. And so then it was Steve taught and then it was just kind of wander around, check it out, scatter. And so this was the third time I'd been in this exact spot. And so I saw that little cutout. And so you see the big one, the kind of cave and then all the other little cutouts up there. What those are were there were, there were statues of pagan gods, of Pan. This was a center of worship of the god Pan. I got mad about that that day. I didn't like it. I didn't like that Pan had been worshiped in God's country. So I went in that little cutout right there by myself in that cave and I sang through this song, My Victory. And I worshiped Jesus in that spot just with that thought of like, I am reclaiming this territory for the King of Kings. It's not okay that Pan was worshiped here. Finish out the trip, come home, and get back to my life. Steve, do you have that other microphone? Oh, my wife's got it, come on up. And so I'm gonna let Allison come up and uh, fill you in on kind of the next piece of the story. So anyway, I got this picture right here, and I got a little bit of the story and I'm a bit of a, a word nerd. And when he said that Pan had been worshiped there, I started to get that nudge, that internal nudge of the Holy Spirit to look up the word Pan. And so as I did just a very quick search of it, I, I saw, of course, what Pan represented in terms of what it meant to worship him and all the weird things that kind of were tied up in that. But down at the bottom of the article, this was the thing that caught my attention. The God Pan, that word is where we get the word panic. It means chaos and disorder. And so the Lord, I've never heard the Lord speak audibly, but internally he impressed upon me, Jonathan has worshiped on top of his panic and it is done. Now, now y'all have to realize I'd lived by a side for 10 years. So I'm like, what do you mean it's done? It makes no sense, it's, it's done. I said nothing to Jonathan because I felt like that would be false hope, like it's done. And then as he came home, I just started realizing that week after week would go by. And finally at about a month I said, um, honey, have you had a panic attack? And he went, no, I still didn't say anything. A Couple more months went by and I said, honey, have you had a panic attack? And he said, Nope. No, and I'm gonna let him take over. Yeah. And then I said, what? 
What, what do you know? When your wife says something to you twice, you need to say, what do you know? <laughs> Husbands, your wives know things. Listen to them. And so she told me, and it felt too good to believe. But I realized I'd already been experiencing it. And so eventually I was at a steps class one Sunday morning and I thought, I need to say this out loud. Now look, when you've had panic attacks, you don't even wanna say the word panic attack because it might come get you. But I stepped out and I said it. And then I'm standing over at that microphone, second service, and I get to a moment in the service where I feel like I'm supposed to tell the story and the moment kind of passes. And so I'm like, all right, God, I'll tell it if you want me to. And I think it's one of the moments where Steve looked at me and went, you got anything? So I went from telling 20 people in the steps class to telling everybody in the room, I don't have panic attacks anymore. Yeah. Panic attack used to feel like an attack dog and I could feel it coming. Anybody in the room that has them, you know what I'm talking about. You know it's coming and that thing is coming at you, jaws blazing. And there's nothing I could do about it. Not only was my car stolen, and my phone, and my wallet, and my keys, you know what else was stolen? It felt like my humanity was stolen. It felt like my free will was stolen, my ability to choose. And so when that thing would start coming at me, all I could do is stand there and go, here it comes, boom! And it would hit, I'd either take the medicine, start worshiping the Lord, and ride it out. So after I told the story and after Allison mentioned it, I had two moments where the things that would trigger a panic attack happened. And I felt the trigger and I felt my whole body try to do what it would do. And I heard that thing barking. And I looked at it and I said, I don't have panic attacks. And it stopped. It stopped. Now, what does this have to do with abounding hope? abounding hope. The Lord told Allison she believed him and her heart started to abound with hope that she could get her husband back. Because before I was this happy-go-lucky guy just bouncing through life. And the next thing I knew, I was paralyzed by fear and it was contagious. And so my son Levi has experienced plenty of times that I'm like, be careful, be careful, be careful. Head on a swivel, situational awareness. Who teaches their kid about situational awareness when he takes them to a Memphis Grizzlies game? <laughs> Thank you, you make, that makes me feel better. But like Levi had to live with that. Now, I'm not mad that I taught him how to watch out for himself, but I don't wanna put fear on my boy. And so now, God has set me free as the result of abounding hope in my wife, as a result of abounding hope in Jimmy Harris, who said, no, I will not help you just survive. And so we got to work. Now, in case any of you in the room who are battling anxiety are thinking right now, you're actually on your phone buying a plane ticket to Israel <laughs> so that you can go to that cave in Caesarea Philippi, it had nothing to do with that cave in Caesarea Philippi. That's, just, that's where God chose to do it so that I have a memorial and I can go, it happened right there. But I don't want us to get locked up in the method of the freedom. I wanna look at a couple of things that happened that I can take away from that moment. So what's the first thing 
that if I can look back on it, that contributed to this freedom in my heart. The Holy Spirit nudged me, go in there and, and fight for this territory. And so I did. I didn't go in there to get rid of panic attacks. I just went and followed the leading of the Spirit. That's how I got free. Do what God says in the moment. He can be trusted. Lord, I believe you. And in believing, I was set free. What's the other thing that happened there? Allison said it. I went and worshiped in the cave of my hopelessness. Instead of curling up in a ball like I had done so many times, I worshiped Jesus. I mentioned it briefly a second ago, but you know the only thing that ever helped that would really knock out a panic attack aside from the medicine that just knocked me out was worship. I couldn't positive my way out of it. I couldn't think my way out of it. There was nothing I could do to stop it except I could worship the Lord. What happens when we worship? Who are we looking at? We're looking at Jesus. We're not looking at our hopelessness anymore. So follow the leading of the Spirit if you want to get free. And worship the Lord in your cave of hopelessness. And you know what superabounding looks like? Go start worshiping the Lord in the cave of somebody else's hopelessness. Go into the cave of your hopelessness and figure out who's still in there. And go get them. And tell them that there's a way out. You, you almost don't want to tell me that you have panic attacks or struggle with anxiety. I will run through a brick wall to get to you. What was paralyzing has turned into abounding hope. I know for everybody in the room right now who knows this devil, I have hope for you that God can set you free that this doesn't have to be your new normal, that this doesn't have to be the rest of your life. I don't know how he's gonna do it. I don't know if he's gonna do it in a little cave in Israel or he's gonna do it on your kitchen floor or on your drive home or he's doing it right now. What I know is that he can do it. There's hope. There's hope. I was hopeless. I was scared to get up here. I was itching to get up here this morning. I don't preach. I do now. Hope! Hope! I was sitting in that chair and I was like, Tony, come on. Oh, these songs are so good, but come on. <laughs> Not really, but I was itching to get up here. Okay, uh, one more example. You good for one more example of, of what it looks like? Okay, so I'm actually, we're not even gonna put this scripture up here. I'm just gonna tell you this story. So remember earlier that I told you uh, that we just needed to pay attention when Jesus said for Peter and uh, James and John to follow him into the room with Jairus' daughter? So after that, we know that Jesus was crucified we know that the disciples encountered the resurrected Jesus. We know that when he said, wait for the Holy Spirit, they did, and they got filled up with the Spirit at Pentecost. And so now we look at these guys after that moment. So one day, Peter and John were walking up to the temple courts at the time of prayer, and they noticed there was a crippled beggar being carried in. 
Now, the scripture tells us that this beggar was carried there every single day at that time so that he could beg at the temple courts. And we also know that he had been crippled since birth. And so Peter and John see him, and the beggar asks them to give him something. And their response is, look at me. So we know from that, he wasn't even looking at them, right? It's this. He's crippled and he's saying, hey, can I have a dollar? And so he looks at them and it says, he looked at them with expectation. But what was he expecting? A dollar. He was expecting to get some money. And then Peter looked at him and said, I don't have silver, I don't have gold. But what I do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Get up and walk. He grabbed his hand and the beggar believed and he felt strength go into his ankles and his feet and he stood up and that joker went off praising God, jumping, running around, making a scene, crippled since birth said that the people in the temple courts were astonished. They said, isn't this, isn't this the crippled beggar? We've known him his whole life. He's up on his feet running around and praising God. So, okay, what are our takeaways from this thing? The crippled beggar had hope, right? He had hope for a dollar. I went to Jimmy hoping that I could just get right here and stop drowning. Jimmy said, no. I have way bigger hopes for you. Peter looked at him, said, I'm not giving you money. Peter was not dissuaded by hope that was too small. Didn't knock him off his game even a little bit. He was so abounding, super abounding with hope that he grabbed that beggar and said, in Jesus' name, you're healed and pulled him to his feet. That's what superabounding hope does in us. We meet people with expectations that are too small, with hopes that are too small, and we have hope for them. We live in a world right now that is divided by fear. You look at the nastiness on television and political strife and cultural strife and every bit of strife you can find, it's people that are afraid of each other. And we're, and we're putting people in a category. Like, oh, you're bad. I mean, get on Facebook and it's just like, good grief, the demonization of everybody but me. That's the world we live in. We need to invade that world with abounding hope that there's a better way. There's a better way to live. We could actually love each other and be filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. And instead of complaining and picking our tribe and saying that we're better than everybody, maybe we could start grabbing some beggars and say, get up and walk to those that are crippled. So how do we do that? In the famous words of Inigo Montoya. <laughs> Let me explain. Nope, there's no time. Let me sum up. How do we do that? Troy, can we put that Romans verse back up there? Now, by the way, when? Now. now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
that you may abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The how is get with the God of hope and let him cram you full of joy and peace. Spend time with him in the morning. Spend time with him at night. Spend time in his word. Look at his promises. Worship him. Whatever you need to do, however you need to do it, get near the God of hope and let him fill you up. Then do your part. Believe him. Just believe him. Trust him. Next thing you know, you're going to be like a Diet Coke bottle full of Mentos. (laughs) Hope is going to be pouring out of you empowered by the Spirit of God. Let's stand up together, y'all. So if you're comfortable, just kind of hold your hands like this. I'm gonna pray this verse over us. Now, now, Lord, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe him that you, every one of you, may abound, may super abound, may contagiously abound, may overflow, be filled with excess, that you may abound with hope by the power, the dunamis power, the miracle working power, of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 All right, y'all. Hey, bless you, get you some hope, and go give it away. See y'all.